Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Incomparable, number 649, January 2023. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and this episode is about a TV show based on a book. It's The Peripheral from Amazon Prime Video and based on the novel by William Gibson from 2014. This show just ended late last year. Uh, one season in uh, rumblings that there is a second season renewal coming, but it hasn't happened yet. But we're going to talk about it anyway because... We, uh, a lot of us love William Gibson on this podcast and uh, science fiction TV, and we thought this was worth talking about. Let me tell you who is on this podcast with me. It's not just going to be a monologue. Uh, first off, uh, two people I know are uh, dyed-in-the-wool William Gibson fans, so we're going to start with them. Lisa Schmeiser is here. Hello. Hi. I'm so excited to talk about this. Finally, a William Gibson adaptation yes. that isn't Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, <laughs> and, Hurrah. And, and Anthony Johnston also here. Hello. Yes, hello, God. I'm so glad that we get a, a decent adaptation of a Gibson book at last. That it finally happened. I don't know uh, how the feelings about William Gibson are, but uh, they agreed to be on this podcast, so that says something. It's Erica Ensign. Hello. Hello. I have never read a book by William Gibson, um, <laughs> so here I am to talk there, about a TV show. TV show based on a book mm -hmm. that you didn't read. And Dan Morin. Yep. Hello. <laughs> Hello. I have read several William Gibson novels, but not the one on which this show is based. <laughs> okay. right. There you go. <laughs> All right. We've got a, a nice spread here uh, among uh, our, our panelists. I am on the side of Lisa and Anthony, by the way, where I've read everything William Gibson's written and a big fan. But, We're all uh, shocked. It's okay uh, because this is a TV show. It is not a book. It's fun if you read the book to be like, hey, uh, and they did make some changes, which I actually fully support. I think this is an example of a good <laughs> adaptation uh, with good changes. I might as well start there. We're not going to spend a lot of time breaking down like differences between book and, and, and show. But I want to say that in re revisiting the book, and I know, Lisa, did you reread the book before? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> I, I figured, I thought you did. Yeah. One, of, one of the things that strikes me about the book is that it's a slow burn, that there is a very, very long time where it is setting the stage before you get to the point where there are, like, military attacks with drones and stuff. And the show cuts to the chase. The show is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's a TV show. If we don't get people in episode one and two, we're not going to keep them. And so... I think that that's the big structural change that I actually applaud because I think for television, that's a smart move to get the incident and the action and the fact that the characters are in peril up front. Whereas in the novel, William Gibson takes his time to set the scene and get everybody sort of like, it's increasingly strange and you're wondering what's going on. And then every, mm -hmm. all hell breaks loose. And, uh, 
so this show inverts it where all hell breaks loose and then we have to figure out what's going on and i think it works pretty well um but i'm and i'm curious what lisa and anthony think but like i'm definitely not one of those people who thinks every adaptation needs to be uh completely honoring exactly what's in the book because uh it's not a book anymore it's an adaptation for a different medium they film they should just film someone turning the pages on the book oh like man so read each page <laughs> so that faithful. would be the truest adaptation like all those Stephen J. Cannell shows, they should just film a guy that's at a right. typewriter typing? pulling yeah. the pages out. And that's the... That, anyway, Lisa and Anthony, what do you think about the the choices <laughs> they made in adapting you know, and changing the novel into this show? I think they made a great TV show and they understood the medium compared to the book. Because one of the appeals of the book is it's pretty tidy and self-contained. And... One of the appeals I thought to the TV show was, like you said, it starts off, boom, drops you right in the middle, and it's more serialized. And the t- season did end on kind of a cliffhanger note. There was a sense of right. micro-resolution to several of the threads, but there's a lot of really big cliffhangers, which is part and parcel of the pleasure of serial storytelling. But a lot of the themes... Um, they got the spirit of the book, I thought. Uh, the idea that community is perhaps the biggest asset you have for future proofing is something that comes through in both the book and the movie. Uh, they got the sense that, <laughs> I mean, for all that you have in both the book and, 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 and the TV show, you've got, oh, people are doing martial arts and they have pults that do fantastic things. You, you do also have a, a sense that Real heroism belongs to people who can accurately see and figure out how to solve a problem in an effective way and not a flashy way. And I like that they kept the relationships, the the importance and the strength of relationships intact between the the book and the and the TV show, because they really could have gone in a different direction with oh, it's it's a cyber hellscape and Flynn stands astride it as a pult and you know black leather jacket flaring dramatically kung fu pow pow and they more or less resisted that there were a few shots here that like channeled that aesthetic but the idea that this is a a young woman who mostly thinks of herself as part and parcel of a larger group of people with whom she has all sorts of different connections and their welfare is part of her decision-making process. I love that that trans uh, stayed the same between the book and then the TV series. Anthony, what about you? Yeah, I, I, I agree with all of that. One of the things I like about Gibson's books is that he drops you in without explaining much at all. And, you know, you kind of have to pick everything up as you go along. And obviously he's not the only author to do that, but I think he does it very well because by the end of a book, you feel like you do understand everything and he has explained at least what you need to know um, to, you know, to get what you need to get out of the book. And I think the show does that as well, although I don't think they close off as effectively. Um, But I thought that was, talking about them keeping sort of the spirit of the book, I thought that was one of the things they did really well. I, like you, Jason, I had no problem with the changes they made to the story. Uh, For example, the whole business of talking about Johnny Mnemonic, I mean, that's effectively what they've done here, is turned this into Johnny Mnemonic, which is not in the book at all, uh, by putting the sort of valuable, sensitive information, you know, hiding it in Flynn's head and stuff. Right. that's you know not a part of the book it is frankly just lifted from johnny mnemonic but i think it works because what's in the book is not enough for a visual tv show which obviously is 
what this is. So, yeah, I'm totally on board with the changes. I was kind of amused, though, that even here in the 2020s, some things in Gibson's work are still just too weird for a mainstream <laughs> audience and for a TV show. Like the whole garbage patch, oceanic garbage patch scene that starts off the novel, nowhere to be seen. There's not no. even a mention of it. Like that character barely appears. Uh, and uh, when she does appear, is in a very, very different form uh, to how she is in the novel. And the idea of that character who is in the novel... I think in uh, Wikipedia, at least, describes her as an artist stroke celebrity stroke diplomat. No no suggestion of anything like that in the TV show. So it's good to know that there are some things in Gibson's work, as I say, that are still too weird for the mainstream. I like that. But yeah, I think they did a really good job. It's weird. I read the Wikipedia summary for the book after finishing the show. Because I was like, oh, I wonder what this is like compared to the book. And I was like, this seems very different. <laughs> or at least the stuff that the Wikipedia summary called out. I was like, okay, you can see like the threads they took and whatever. But like it also felt, I was like reading through, I was like, yeah, this feels much more like a William Gibson book than the show did. But the characterizations are so consistent. I think that's what I really found appealing about this adaptation is there is so much stuff in the TV show that you don't have in the book um, and, and vice versa. But all of the character beats are the same. So if you are somebody who came to the TV show ha- having read the book, you're like, oh, that's recognizable. That's recognizable. Yes. I mean, Alita's backstory is completely different. But who she is and how she chooses to operate within their society, oh, that's recognizable. Um, I, frankly, I found Lev to be a, a, a bloody delight. Mm. And he's very, very different in, in terms of... Uh, background and involvement to to some extent like he feels a little bit more feckless in the book and a little bit more oh i'm i'm just here because i'm pretty and my parents have money (laughs) whereas in the show you see that he has far more sinister actions that he's committed and and far 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 farther ranging repercussions but like the fundamental charm there's there's a scene towards the end of the series where he he tells his child to go fetch me a knife from the study and like the way that (laughs) that whole paternal dynamic where where it's like apparently normal and part of their family culture and he's very sweet and hands-on with the kid right before he's about to really threaten people and i was like oh this i i I found it really fascinating Mm -hmm. and but it was also in keeping with the banked menace that the klept represents yeah. too. So yeah. William Gibson great. would just respond to your statement by saying, "Klept," <laughs> like that's yeah. that's what it is. <laughs> I, that, that is, I mean, I want to I want to detail these two timelines that this show is about. But you mm-hmm. mentioned Lev. I want to just mention one of my favorite scenes in the whole. Uh, show that I think you meet yeah you meet Lev and he's like well he's a rich guy right like people are dealing Mm -hmm. with the rich he's like a he's like one of our billionaires right you think and he's Mm -hmm. like oh yeah he's a rich guy (laughs) and everybody's serving him and all that and he's he's genial but don't forget he's got all this power and then there's that moment uh, halfway through where they're like um uh, you, he he killed. We find that he has killed all of his ancestors in Flynn's timeline, in Flynn's stub, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's so cold blooded. And it, and he's just like, I just don't want them. You know, I don't like the idea that they're out there. I, I don't want them to exist. And that's I loved that moment so much because that's the moment where you look at this guy and you're like, oh, you're much stranger than I thought 
you were, right? Like you are a much more weird, dangerous, uh, odd person from the future that I don't actually understand. I thought I had a read on you and boy, I was missing so many layers and I just, I loved it. I just, I, I loved how, how strange that moment is to completely change how you feel about this character and be like, oh no, 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 no. He's really disturbing. I also love how it shows how badly Flynn and um, Wilf have kind of misread him because yeah. they're very anxious about telling him and they're like, oh, this is terrible news. We have to break it to you gently. And he's like, nah, I did that. I did that. <laughs> And like you could tell it would have never occurred to them that anyone would be capable of doing that or want to do that. And he's like, well, well, why wouldn't you? And I love how it illustrates that he that that they have a very limited understanding of how his brain works. And you're like, oh, this this represents a threat, you know, in the future. The way that he moves people and places around. It's just it's such a great character beat for like all three of them. I think what's fun about him, too, is also there's a scene later on, too, where you realize even though he is this really powerful, semi-untouchable figure, he still has concerns and vulnerabilities because mm-hmm. when Lothier shows to. up, you know, he has that moment of like, oh, the Met is here. And you see, like, he's like legitimately <laughs> terrified, right? And I think yeah. that's a great moment of saying, like, well, like, it's one thing to make a villain who is this, like, oh, I'm super powerful, you know, basically crime lord slash billionaire mm-hmm. and what can touch me? And then you realize, oh, no, there are things that he's afraid of. Mm-hmm. Like, that is, <laughs> to me, that is some great coloring. And it's done very subtly, too. I thought that mm-hmm. scene was great because it's just... There's not a lot of dialogue about it, um, but the uh, it was J.J. Field. Is that how you pronounce his name? Um, who plays yeah. plays Lev has this like mm-hmm. he goes like like ashen. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's not an easy thing to like sort of pull off there. Yeah. And he really does. And literally everybody is scrambling all of a sudden. It was it was. <laughs> and I liked the fact that that reveal was before the the reveal that sort of comes to the very end where you where you kind of more expected that he actually has his own internal forces in the club that he has to answer to. Um, I liked finding out that there was something outside of the club that that actually could have a direct effect on him and he was so scared about even before before that. We see some evidence of that as well when uh, Wilf and Flynn when Flynn's in the peripheral and they're walking around London and they encounter the um, oh yeah the cop met Polt mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, oh well is it a Polt or is it an android whatever um, right and and Wilf is again genuinely scared of mm-hmm. this thing yeah. and of yeah. the power it's kind of they never explicitly say it uh, but in I mean really this is in the book as well but certainly in the show it's heavily implied that the Met are kind of more like Judge Dredd than <laughs> modern mm-hmm. cops you know they they're effectively uh, have the power to just execute you on the spot or something um, and have clearly a lot more power than uh, than regular police. They like wipe out an entire family, don't they? Yeah. I mean, when, we, when we're told that they are that There's they're like okay. a three part system exactly basically. you get you get introduced to this and i i'm, I'm curious uh to erica and dan especially who didn't read the book how they how they read this but like the future when you're introduced you're like okay well these guys are like uh, kind of russian mobsters it's the klept basically it's organized crime and they they are like modern billionaires they rule they rule everything and they have all this power and then you realize oh no 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 it is this uh, trio because the cops are not like oh well the cops can't do anything no 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 the cops can do they are also elevated to this high level where they can also uh, have tremendous power and can do everything and the klept is actually uh, uh, concerned of them uh, about them because they're they're connected and then there's the research institute which is also like 
a little mysterious and like what what's that all about and we and we have Alita uh, and we learn about them a little bit too but it's fascinating because you you can make some assumptions based on uh, power dynamics today but that's not what this future London in the peripheral is it's it the, the power players are different and that leads to that scene being so great where uh, Lobier shows up at Lev's and everybody's like oh no <laughs> like the jig is up a li- like we gotta we're gotta, in we'll, trouble we'll, now let's, let's work this out <laughs> right, right? We, we see some negotiation happening between Lev and Charisse at some point you can tell they see themselves as sort of like foils and they're right. both sort of on a similar level and then it feels like the Met is something that kind of scares at least the the Kleps, if not also the R.I. But like that, there is a, a interesting dynamics, right? Because Lev's interactions with Sharice are very different from Lev's interactions with Lobier in terms of like, what am I concerned about here? And with with Sharice, he's more like playing chess a little bit, where mm-hmm. with, with Lobier right. he's like, well, we just we're on the up and up. We tell we, we're just gonna tell everything as it is and like try to not don't don't lie to them. Just you know, <laughs> try try to be careful about it. Right. They're allowed some level of whatever their crime clept thing is right? right but like if you cross a line it's extremely bad and you get the sense that yeah, they've crossed yeah. the line and with <laughs> and they've crossed the line with what they're doing with flynn right and it's like oh right uh exactly. now you know and lev has stepped out and and presumably and i think this goes to that last scene that's after the credits if you watched and didn't watch after the credits there's a post-credit scene that seems to be everybody else mm-hmm. in the clept saying to lev um this whole thing with the stubs and flynn and all that you gotta erase it because you you got us all in trouble and we don't want to be in trouble and so like it recasts what we've been watching where you go in you're innocent you're just sort of like oh i guess this is how this works in the future and it's like no this is not how this works in the future this is uh you know lev is doing some bad stuff that the the cops are now onto. and can we can we uh Talk about Alexandra Billings and D- Detective Lobier. Yes. This is my favorite character oh. in the book. They, they, they save her for a long time, She's right? Like episode six too or long. something. Too long. Yeah. Too yeah. long. I think so, too, because it's such a great character. But when she approaches, it's like... You know, she does have all the power and she's got her she's like a Sherlock Holmes or a Columbo or something. And she's just like it, it is it, it, there is no doubt of who is in control of every scene that she's in when she strides in the door. It's so good. I'm I'm not sure I agree that they saved her for two. But let me put it this way. If we were certain that we were getting a season two, I would say 100 percent she was perfectly deployed in mm. this season. If this is mm. the only peripheral we yeah, get on okay, television, yeah. then then maybe just because she was so good. But for me, not knowing anything about the book or William Gibson's style, except for Johnny Mnemonic in the movie, uh, <laughs> going into this, uh, that was very different. Yikes. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Dolphins. Yeah, (laughs) but I feel like the the way that this show started and was sort of dribbled out in terms of the information about the world and like in the first episode, like the nature of reality, I wasn't even sure what was what um, was was that's what hooked me. And it hooked me harder than any other show that I have started watching in a very, very long time. Like this was tailor made for my particular nerdiness and starting it out being like okay there's like this weird video game and no wait maybe it's not actually a video game in this part of it maybe she's going someplace else is it another Mm. world is it aliens is it you know you soon enough find out it's actually just london in the future and 
Oh, is that all? So at the beginning, <laughs> at, at the beginning, you just like you you think I thought that it was the research institute that just sort of controlled everything, and that Lev was just sort of this rich guy. And then then they slur, slur, slowly dole out some more information. No, 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 the cleft is actually a big deal, and it's this huge you know network of you know billionaire mobsters. Kind of is, is what it felt like. And then I I appreciated not finding out about how important the Met was until later because it gave me another one of those moments of like, whoa, wait, I didn't right. actually understand what was going on. It's right, very right. similar to that reveal, Jason, you were talking about with Lev, how it's just like, whoa, he is not quite who I thought he was. Undermining so, our assumptions about how the yes. world works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like <laughs> in the very last episode, you have the uh, the the four guys in North Carolina talking about like, what's that thing the Russian or the, the sorry, the Romans talk about? Yeah, a triumvirate. Like the moment that I finally realized that the future is actually ruled by a triumvirate of these forces mm. that are they're like in perfect balance and the reason that Lev is in so much trouble with mm -hmm. the klept and with everybody else is because he did something that could potentially throw off that balance and after everything that happened with the jackpot which is a, a really fascinating view of a dystopian you know apocalypse for the future anything it, like it really shows how the entire world is just balanced on this perfect point and anything that throws it off could really throw the world into yet another apocalypse which is just it's just fascinating I, so i thought the the timing of all of those reveals was really good because i liked having sort of the middle of the the season and doing another record scratch moment and be like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> and showing me Anjali Mohindra at the same time, whom I love. Um, mm -hmm. So that was that was a nice move. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I wanted to mention the, the just sort of overall feel of this show because going in and watching the first few episodes, I knew a little bit about what was going on. I was not surprised by the future reveal because I think maybe I either heard that or I had started the book at one point. Uh -huh. um, and so I felt like maybe I got a little bit from that. Um, but the three shows that came to my, kept coming to mind are, and I think these are all pretty obvious, uh, Westworld. And sure. obviously, Jonathan Nolan mm -hmm. and Lisa Joy were involved Same in this people. as well. Yeah. Um, uh, and the it. look of the, particularly the look of the robots in the future felt very uh, Westworldy yeah. with all the mm -hmm. hosts. Um, uh, justified for all the present day stuff. I yeah. haven't seen that either. <laughs> yeah, it's that's hold, a great sense of place. Uh, yeah. It feels very much like that show, all the crime stuff happening in the, mod, in the quote unquote modern day. And then a little bit of travelers too. Uh -huh. um, with the sending ah, people yes. back in time to do stuff and then like the changing the future and all of that it kind of made me think of it. it's like take those three shows kind of mix them up add a little bit of other stuff and I'm like <laughs> okay you know that, that kind of works for me so I, I thought it was interesting how much I would and because it jumps around so much too you have these moments of being like, oh, I'm in a show about the far future science fiction. No, wait, I'm in a show about near future, you know, App Appalachia, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and and I enjoyed that element of it. Never got too stale because you were constantly dealing with multiple worlds that were a little different from our own. Mm -hmm. And so it was distinct enough in those different time periods and different experiences that I felt like it did a nice job of continually like keeping you moving and guessing. Another thing that 
I really liked about it that you mentioned there is the production design. Uh, I think oh God. like London yes. looks oh fantastic. God. The yeah. assemblers all work kind of as you would expect them to, certainly from the book and just in a, you know, what feels like a logical sense. The the pults, I think, are a really great design, especially when they have the faces superimposed on them. Yeah. Super creepy, but also, yeah, yeah you that can kind of see it. That was the best part, is they're so uh, normalized for them, though. They're creepy to it, us and normalized for them. Well, and that's the thing, isn't it? One of the things that Gibson does so well in his books is he makes the way people interact with this sci-fi technology feel real and kind of natural and achievable and like it's not a big deal. Yeah, even mundane. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I think that's one of the things that, again, the show translates really well to the screen is that yeah the way people in future london interact with the technology all the little hand gestures that wilf is kind of teaching flynn and just the way it's handled is all oh yeah you just do this just do that it's you know it's fine it's normal everybody does it everybody has it everybody's got cyber eyes and can talk telepathically to one another and, <laughs> and can, things like that things on the inside of your mouth and those right are the, yeah but also, I think they do that really well in the near future stuff as well. And yeah. that's much yeah. more difficult because that's so much closer to our world, so much more recognizable as, oh, just a few years in the future. But they still, I think, successfully maintain that feel of, oh, yeah, this just feels like fairly logical, uh, almost obvious developments of our current technology in a way that feels yeah sort of inevitable and obvious even though it is actually fictional so yeah i just i commend them for that because i think they've done that really really well one of the things i think that really helps to make that work like especially in the far future and also helps set the far future off a little bit from the near future is i think the sound design was absolutely fantastic when it comes to yes. all of the little moments where like you can tell that that flynn has left the body uh mm. and, and gone back to her own world and now it's just like this empty shell because of that tiny little warbly sound when mm -hmm. they tap their fingers together there's a little bit of a whoosh but it's a different whoosh from when they're tapping their fingers together to do this other thing and you know encoding the uh their their very language so that you know you you hear them speaking right. i have no idea what what they were saying in in if they were just syllables or what but you know then you get the subtitles saying what they are actually saying to each other and in the near future you don't really have almost any of that so it's like the differences are all more based on the the set design and the the language that the characters are using and the costumes and and all that kind of stuff so it was it, everything i thought was just really done no perfect to help keep me just subsumed in all of this it's like i feel like i'm living in all of these different times and they all feel different and none of it is what is what is here and now which is which was great you mentioned the costumes and i just want to shout out michelle clapton who was the series costume designer because i think one of the things she did really well it's harder i think to do near future aesthetics than it is mm -hmm. to do far future aesthetics yeah. because you can be like sure 100 years from now we all have assemblers and every and mind you, the costuming is beautiful, and it makes complete sense aesthetically for really what, the world has, what the <laughs> yes, world has please. been through. Like, the people wearing everybody, uh, Ash, Lev, all of the rest of them, look like they belong, if that makes sense. But what I really loved about the way Clapton worked with the near future stuff is Flynn is wearing stuff... Like the shoes always sit a little oddly on your face, on your on your eyes because you're like those aren't quite the sneakers that that make sense, but they make sense because that's what kids in Appalachia are wearing in like 2032 or whatever. And 
it's harder to try to forecast out what will feel futuristic but realistic for an Appalachian town. And she did a great job with that. Um, everything was just recognizable enough, but just removed enough where you're like, yeah, this 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 could be where it plays out in the next few years. Um, Honestly, the very first thing that sort of gave me a clue visually to the fact that we were not in our world as I knew it, that it was a little bit different, a little bit future, was the bike. Um, yeah. Her yeah. her bike is something that you see really early on, and it's you know it it's like wait a minute like that's a whole piece of metal for the the tires there that looks different and slightly futuristic, right. and yet nothing else about it looks futuristic. So it was just the perfect touch. It's Ten years ahead it's of just, e-bike it's just technology. an e-bike, yeah. And it's like a rechargeable mm-hmm. battery. Like that's the thing I love about it is you show how they show how they're charging the battery. It's oh I, I want that bike. It's an e-bike. Yeah, same. And Con- Connor's. Uh, you know, trike. contraption yeah. as well. His trike, yeah, that mm-hmm. lets him get around. But that's what yes. I mean about that side of it all. It all works. It all looks like yes, it gives you a clue that you're not in our world, but it also doesn't look outlandish. It's not you know gleaming chrome with fins and right. uh, you know ray guns and all that sort of stuff. It just looks like oh yeah, yeah, I can see that in five, ten years time. Well, and also everything's a little wonky too, right? Like, you know, the fact that his bike, the Connor's trike breaks down at one point. (laughs) He's got to get the kid to help him fix it. And like all this stuff is, you know, it has that kind of Star Wars feel of the it's lived in. Everything Mm -hmm. is used. Everything's a little dinged up. You know, you have the matter printers and stuff like that. Um, You know, the 3D printers and stuff that which I think is, again, a a lovely little bit of like that's something that does exist today. But now we're really imagining in in 10, 15 years. How what if that like upended everything in terms of how you could print stuff? Literally oh, a storefront. Basically. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> yes. one of the brilliant things about this book, um, it is set in these two timelines. Uh, I want to talk about the time travel mechanics in a little bit because it does it in a unique way that I actually feel takes a lot of the pressure off. But I want to talk about the setting, the near future setting. It is in Appalachia. Uh, William Gibson's from Virginia. He has some familiarity with the mountains in Virginia. Uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, we haven't even mentioned by name, who is the star of the show, who plays oh, Flynn. Shit. She's from Georgia. She, sa- she says this is the most she's been able to lean into her Georgia ever in a character. (laughs) But what I love about it in the book uh, too, but in the TV show is um, this is a, uh, and Dan, you mentioned justified, but like this is a show about people who often don't get depicted in media. Mm -hmm. And when they do, it's not generally uh, positive, right? Stereotypical. It's Cletus yeah. and Brandine. Yeah. Exactly. And, and and so these people, our main characters, are are people who are living in the near... It's it's the near future, but also the, it's a near future that has got new stuff but is broken. Now, I would argue that when this book was written in 2014, maybe that felt a little bit more like a science fictional premise. And from the perspective <laughs> of 2022 and 2023, it feels more like... Yeah. That's uh, life, man. That's how it goes is everything gets a little bit better and a little bit worse at the same time. But um and and so we get to meet these people and we get to meet Flynn and and very quickly learn all the great things about her and why she's such an interesting character, including the fact that her her big tough brother who's ex-military asks her to do the speed run in the video game cuz she's better at it than he is even though he's military trained. Love that. Um we mm-hmm. meet uh her brother Burton by the way. Um I, I have have I seen Jack Rayner in anything? He seems like I it, but know. I kept looking up and being like, no, he I, is, I don't think he's in Sing like Street, so I guess I've seen him in that. He I is also so he's charismatic. Irish. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's so good, isn't he? Yeah. It's a great character, Burton, her brother. And he is an incredibly charismatic. Like I, I was watching and thinking, this guy's a star. This guy is going to be yep. big because he is so good at making you like him. And and well, he becomes, <laughs> uh-huh. 
yeah. they open on him. I was expecting to not like him because they opened right. on the whole bit where she accuses yep. him of stealing the pills. And you're like, oh, he's going to have this jerk brother. And she's, he's just using her for all this. And like, as it develops, like their relationship is so critical yeah. to this yeah. entire thing. Mm-hmm. And it's done really well. The two of them have really great sibling chemistry. Like I, and I, I agree with you, Jason. I mean, I think he, part of it, he has that, I don't know, he has a look about him that is a bit, it's not quite generic, but like it feels like a, oh, that's, that's a famous guy that I know from somewhere else. <laughs> um, but he's, he's so good at it. And I, I really, I love that character. He's in the film Midsummer. That may mm. well be where you've seen it. And he was also in an episode, no. he was also in an episode of the Philip K. Dick Electric Dreams nope. anthology <laughs> series, if you've seen that. No, I think it's more that he pops off the screen like he's a star mm-hmm. and you're like, surely he is a star. And then you look and you're like, yeah. hmm, not yet. But <laughs> I mean, I agree. Time. He but does. They don't absolutely. center it around him, which I really love about yep. the series as a yeah. whole. Is you've got this, you've got this guy who he's handsome and charismatic and has great chemistry, but there are also so many other people in this series who <laughs> pop off the screen the same way. Like I really, really liked watching Connor. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Eli Gorey, who I'd seen in the uh, suit spinoff Pearson, in which he plays a incredibly different character and he is so good here like i think he, he really is, is just another fantastic performance and just the 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 interactions between him and especially burton i think are just really well done and his it's whole is well written the whole premise there that these guys were in the military and now they are and, and the the show has time for all of these things to say these guys were in the military and not only are they dealing with post-traumatic stress basically right they're dealing with the fallout of being in the military they're also in a in the science fictional metaphorical overlay they're also dealing with the fact that they had military tech implanted in them that they have to deal with but it also comes in handy when somebody's trying to kill you um oh, and, i loved and, that when they link up yeah, every time they did yeah. that yeah, you see what it costs them you're oh, right but oh, you so think good. you think they're broken and you're like oh i know what this is this is broken ex-soldiers i get it and then you see that moment where they kind of like all come together and you're like or <laughs> they're also sort of still like they, they're still soldiers and they're really good at this thing but it has all of these costs it's just so good and then as this unravels which brings us to the jackpot as well as this unravels and we get more idea about where they are in 10 years we discovered there's a line of dialogue that happens in one episode where they say oh yeah that was back in texas and i'm i lean forward and i'm like did they just say that they that their deployment was to Texas? And then we get the flashback <laughs> yep. where we find out yeah. what happened. And and then that's the show saying, oh, yes, by the way, um, <laughs> there's a civil war basically that happened or something in the intervening 10 years. And, and you know, and that all feeds into this idea that, 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 you know, the decay that there is in this town. I will say in my mind's eye, the town was a little more decayed. It's very it's very pretty uh, in the TV show. In my in my mind, the Walmart was a little bit threadbare. We don't even see a Walmart in this in the show. Um, but it, it is sliding toward the the apocalypse, the slow apocalypse that is the jackpot, which is the premise at the heart of the the story and the and the series of books by William Gibson, which is that when the apocalypse comes for you, it doesn't come in a in a, a day or a week. Uh, in his view, the twenty first century apocalypse takes decades of lots of things going wrong and we finally get that download late in the season where they're like let's okay we'll tell you what the jackpot is and uh but i think that in in the near future setting we get that the hints of it right because we we're comparing it to where we are now and are like yeah right sliding downhill and the more that gets revealed the more we realize that 
Um, and and that that I think helps that setting as well. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Can we talk a bit about the jackpot? Because sure, yeah, yeah. Because in the book, it's kind of laid out like it's talked around a little bit. Jackpot is referenced, and Flynn is finally like, "What is this?" And it's laid out over the course of two paragraphs, basically. And the right, two which paragraphs is, is that scene in that ninth episode or whatever where they. Well, the thing is, is like in the book, it's two paragraphs, and the way it's recounted that. The, the the general gist is it wasn't one thing that caused the population to collapse. It was that you couldn't recover from the previous thing when something else happened. Right. And you read that, you're like, mm, sounds plausible, and you move on. Mm. But when I saw it on the screen, and it's Flynn standing in that cemetery, and then all those virtual memorials begin popping up detailing like oh first the power grids get attacked and there's blackouts that last for seven or eight months so of course societies collapse and then just a few years later comes the blood plague and then comes environmental collapse and species collapse and then comes um you know someone drops a a nuclear bomb because why not and just the scope and the horror hits so differently because on the printed page it's it's just exposition that carries you along and explains a couple big differences and gives you more stakes in flynn's world because they're like okay clearly we have to to jackpot proof ourselves and in the tv show you're like holy mother of god (laughs) how on earth are you going to manage one of these things much less all of these things which is part of the brilliance of setting the show pre and post apocalypse right these two timelines that are not in the apocalypse per se but are on either straddling either side of it and so we see the recovery such as it is from what happened that's the thing that is the thing that get me more than that actually that seemed to me you know the explication of everything going wrong you're like yeah that, that seems bad but like here we are in the future where stuff's okay and but it's the scene where they show, you know, they're talking about nobody, you know, everybody wears black and whatever. And Wolf's like, oh, yeah, none of those people are real. Yeah, and you're like, holograms. <laughs> yeah. And then they turn yes. it off and they turn off the, the skyline, too. And that was the moment for me where uh, I was like, oh, OK, this was bad. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah we're, we're doing great here. All all one percent of the population who's still alive. We're fine now. Yeah. <laughs> but I do love the idea of like this whole suite of technology developed just to effectively make people feel better yeah like it has no no practical uh consideration beyond mental health it's just like yeah you know we all feel a bit better if we think we're surrounded by people and if the buildings look as if they're not falling to bits what what an amazing Uh, bit of human nature that we've learned in the last couple of years of let's Mm -hmm. pretend it's back to normal yeah exactly (laughs) yeah let's pretend there are connections yeah yeah One of the things I like about the jackpot is like the idea of an apocalypse being a chain reaction is not Mm. new. I've done it myself in, you know, several things and it's. You created the apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But. We're all simulation. But it's not a chain reaction. It's not in the sense that we traditionally think of it in uh, apocalyptic fiction. It is, as Lisa said, it's it's a series of events that happen one after the other that aren't necessarily connected, but their effects 
are connected. It's not that the power grid attack causes the blood plague. It's that the power grid failure is so bad that we're not then prepared for what how, the for the effects of the blood plague. And so it's the effects that chain react rather than the disasters themselves. And I just thought that was. It, Again, as Lisa says, in the book, it is kind of given relatively short shrift, much more so than in the show. But even in the book, I thought that was a great... It just struck me as a fairly original concept that it's not actually about, oh, this causes this, which causes this. It's more, yeah, about, well, actually, all these things happened, but the problem was that the effects of one were so bad that they then carry through and make the effects of the second and third and fourth things even worse. And suffice it to say that over the last eight years, uh, William Gibson keeps getting sent things about the oh, present yes. day with mm -hmm. the thought that this is the jackpot. And to, he, to be honest, that's been happening his entire career. Yeah, he's yeah. Been, but this is he's this been is been saying on Twitter, he's like, "Oh, the jackpot's already started." And yeah, all, that's not making me feel better. <laughs> yeah, <Bill>. thanks, Bill. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But that that is it's one of those things that it seemed a little more visionary in 2014 and feels yeah. a little more real in 2022, 23. Yeah, I, I honestly like, can't. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine it feeling visionary because to me it didn't. It was just like, this is a very logical, yeah. uh, you know, carrying on of the directions that we are going. Yeah, right I want to give him so, credit. It was yeah. less obvious in 2014 than it is now. Oh, yeah, that's true. I think, yeah. yeah Again, welcome to Gibson's career. Yeah, that's yeah. Great. yeah, no, this is, I spend a lot of time being like, this man just forecasts the future, both short and long term. So time, <laughs> timelines, I wanted to talk about, because we talk about a lot of sci-fi stuff on this podcast. And um, I, one of the things that I think is fascinating about this is the fact that it is... So William Gibson comes up with this idea of the stub, the idea that you can basically make a branch off of a timeline. And so everything we're seeing in uh, in Flynn's timeline in 2032 is a stub created in the future. And the idea here is they basically have the ability to force a branch of a parallel universe. That's basically what's going on here. And um, that is... A weird, interesting, very specific idea, but what it what it ends with is the ability to create a show set in two timelines where at no point is there any discussion of, well, wait a second, what if we change the timeline? Like, what if we right. change the past yeah. so the future doesn't happen? And this show is like nope the moment in no fact it's, it's very for a complicated concept it's very clearly described in that moment where they said no the moment we start talking to you from the future and you can't go yeah. back in time you can only send information between the two timelines you can't you can't physically move anything it's like the moment we start talking to you you're you're you know, you're a parallel timeline. You're no longer our past because we didn't talk to you in our past. Right. So, yep. and, and I, I love that. I love that the burden of all the time we did the summer of time travel, right? the burden mm -hmm. of all the time travel shenanigans is kind of like lifted where the yeah. show's like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not even time travel. It's interdimensional talkie Co communication. Like they're, yeah. Talking yeah. To each other. Yeah. they're moving like diagonally, right? Cause you're going back, but to the side. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. I just, it's I, like branches. I think like it's a they yes. call it stubs. It's a huge. It's yeah, it's a huge relief to me yeah. <laughs> that mm -hmm. we had no point of like when they talk about changing, uh, solving the jackpot in Flynn's time. It's it, it goes to a core question, and this is about Lev being a monster and killing his ancestors in in her in her stub. It, it goes to the sense of 
um, of do the people in future London think that the people in Flynn's stub are real or not? Or are they just a virtual reality simulation or whatever? Whereas from Flynn's perspective, yes, they're real. This is their world. And so you get this kind of question of like, oh, we can just play around in the past. And they do. And they're using it to experiment with things. And they're they're using it for labor uh, and all of these other things. And so there's this, there, you know, th- that becomes one of the themes of the show and the book, which is that the disparity is it, it's people it's you know it's people exploiting other people and not thinking that they're important or that their lives matter and the people in that uh, other timelines exerting the fact that they they do and yet you do have somebody like Alita who who's saying I want to fix the jackpot right like I want to I want to use these stubs and I want to I want to it's not going to work for me but I want them to not suffer like we suffered on our world by avoiding the jackpot somehow but it won't it won't change their future their well, future is what the, it is. The, the only time this falls a little bit flat for me is at the very end yes. of this, where, yes. where where Flynn's solution to the whole problem is like, well, we just die and we go to a different stub, right? Yeah, and we you're make, like, we make, but, a, but you're dead. I <laughs> love, I love that so much. But oh, before I jump all the way me. to the end, I want to talk about how <laughs> yeah. the just the, the the branching off and stuff. I thought it there was one bit that felt a little bit like conservation of characters, but also sort of hit me right in the heart so much that I didn't care and that's seeing the stub as a place for experimentation and when you learn that the oh. research institute used you know yeah. the the haptic implants that are that are put mm-hmm. into our characters that we love our, our army bros um, should not have existed and were only part of an experiment by the research institute and the fact that they uh, amped up the 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 feels <laughs> the empathy in the soldiers in order to see what the heck would happen if they you know mined some dogs with bombs and that's how connor ended up disabled and it's just that you know it, that could have happened to anyone uh, but of course it happened to one of our characters and it was uh it was kind of a, a gut punch moment and i was like wow okay yes they they don't see these as real people these are oh, the lab, s- lab rats basically yeah. the yep. stub experimentation was the part where like yeah. i i like had to take them on but like oh my gosh this is dreadful uh-huh. um <laughs> and Mind you, I read the novels like nah, jackpot, schmackpot the first time through. Um, <laughs> but when they you should have called it the schmackpot, it sounds that sounds way better. <laughs> but when when you see these characters talking um, on in, in episodes and they're actually like excited about the research, and you're like, wait, they are actually super excited to watch people die and watch societal collapse because they think the data patterns they're getting are so much more important than the human suffering. That's something I, I did have to sit and take a moment to wrap my brain around and then ask myself, okay, what is this mapping to in the here and the now? Because this this idea too come many out of nowhere, things. Right? <laughs> right. So so you sit with that horror. And I think in yeah. some ways, I want to emphasize the book is very, very good at detailing without editorializing on, like Jason says, the themes of decay. And I and and the the ways society and our government persistently fail to serve the people that they're supposed to serve. Um, Flynn's present is just a, a beautiful example of this in so many ways. I think the TV show does a really great job, though, of giving you these gut punches where you see how it happens and you see what happens when people are turned into things or turned into data points, and it's a really potent message. Uh, we should talk about the end. Dan brought it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 sorry, not sorry. I, <laughs> I, 
I no, I think it's the the biggest misstep in the whole show is mm. that ending because I think it's I think it's confusing. Even though yeah. you know the premise, I think that yeah. the way it's handled, they, I think they get a little bit too far up their Westworld there, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> where they're like, oh, you know, what does it all mean? It's very mysterious. Twist, and it's like, you know, I read the book, I've seen all the episodes, I know everything that's going on here, and I still don't understand what you're trying to communicate to me. Well, it, it's one <sighs> that feels like it's it, it feels like somebody came up with this idea that's like, oh, this is actually pretty clever and simple, quote unquote, in the way that we're doing it. But it also kind of is undercut by the fact that like it's 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 not that it's too easy exactly, but it is like it's very convenient in the way that it you works. Is like to have oh, we my just brain data. Yeah, like, we just it, get the it, photocopy. Yeah, we photocopy this in this universe and just yeah. start over. Well, and it's like, and, mm. and I think I I don't mind the premise of it but the way it's first off the way it's depicted in the last episode is i think confusing yes and second it's well really because they're trying to be clever but yeah. i think it's confusing and i would have liked it to be a little more feel a little more like a a real price and like the a horror of what we're gonna do here because i mean i like the idea which is well the only way this is gonna work if we make a stub of ourselves and then kill the stub they know or kill Flynn and maybe let the jackpot happen in the stub that they know so that they can't get the information while we're secretly still communicating from the stub we created. Of course, the me who's here now will be dead, but also alive in the stub because it's a stub. Uh, like, okay, I think that's clever, but the way the execution just didn't work for me. I loved it. <laughs> I really did. I, I, I recognize that, yes, the execution could have been clearer. Um, I was appreciating how subtle they were with their cues. Like, I, I rewatched the last episode last night just to sort of remind mm -hmm. myself. And the first time I watched it, I was like, I'm pretty sure I understand what they're doing. And I think this is amazing. And when I watched it again, I was like, OK, yep, yep, I got it. But as I was rewatching it, I was thinking, yeah, anybody who is not like as hardcore cued into the little bitty pieces of the the time travel and the stubs and all that kind of stuff that I'm so interested in probably isn't going to get it by like having this character look at that character and say these cryptic words and the other character go, oh, yes, are you saying what I think you're saying without anybody actually saying it out loud? Um, so I think like if I had been watching that with, say, Stephen, my spouse, who did not watch the show with me, he would have been completely lost in, during that episode, which so, yes, kind of a failure of execution. However, at the same time, it made me feel really smart and really cool to watch it. I was like, this is a show that is actually vibrating on my frequency. And I just thought it was great. And I did feel like there was a great price being paid. It, they could have they could have made it more weepy and hammered at home if I don't know, like Burton finds out at the last minute and, you know, gets all weepy or something. But I just thought it was very elegant the way it was. She made this decision. She's like, I will choose to to cease to be to potentially save my stub, like the stub that we've been watching. It You know, it may or may not get saved from the jackpot, but it's going to get saved from the jackpot starting so early because they don't have to set off nukes extra early to, to, right. to kick it off. And there is another version of me that will continue to go forward from this secondary stub and, you know, try to win and try to kill that awful woman. And also then I was like, okay, well then that means depending on what they do in the next season, are we going to have two Connors and two Burtons because they can still go to the same future London that the new yep. Flynn can from the extra stuff. So, which to me was exciting, but I will recognize that, uh, that it was a little bit, uh, obscure and oblique in the way that it was, it was telling the obscure that story. Obliqueness that bothered me. I think I just, no. I did not, the idea of sacrificing yourself, but there's already, we still exist to me felt a little cop out 
to me. Mm-hmm. And especially if next season picks up with just like, oh, here's all the characters, you know, from here, but we're in a different reality. Yeah, that um, would that would feel like a cheat to me. I would I would which not is kinda, appreciate I feel that. like that felt like what they were teeing up to me because I don't think oh, they're no. going to care about what happened to any Burton or or Connor or anybody left in that original stub. I honestly don't feel like the show's oh, like, yeah, we jettisoned those people. We don't care about oh, them. We're boy. back to the people oh. talking to the future. No, I, I hope they do. I hadn't even considered that, Dan. Now I'm they scared. Some re- they put down <laughs> some really intriguing plot threads. And I feel like the last episode, the only way it really works is if her loss is felt in her in the stub, where, where you have people who are genuinely grieving and trying to figure out what to do. And for whatever mm-hmm. reason, they can't or don't, don't know that her consciousness has been downloaded to a pulp in a completely different uh, timeline. There's that. There's two two ways for them to go with season two, right? Is they either ignored that stub and they and what they've done is launder their stub into a new stub. Yeah, or, that would suck. Or they they don't, and then you've got this like, well, wh- <laughs> well, which Burton is this? Is this original Burton or Burton who didn't lose his sister? And extra, that extra crispy Burton that has that has some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. It's the seven secret spices of Burton. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's good. It's definitely going to be interesting to see how they handle season two. And I think it's important for all that we've praised the show to kind of say that you know it's not perfect. Um, yeah, and I I think what you were talking about, Jason, is one of the main problems i had with it i thought the pacing in places was a bit just weird and off but i yep, also had that agreed. problem with westworld mm-hmm. and again like also like westworld it it feels like the show thinks it's explaining more than it is yeah. yes yes <laughs> with mm-hmm. those cryptic bits of uh, snippets of dialogue and people giving meaningful looks to another and i'm all for that i love the slow burn i love the kind of the cryptic uh, dialogue that is then revealed and you realize you have that moment of revelation and think oh god now i understand what that bit was 15 minutes ago or something i love all that but you have to have that moment where somebody actually tells you what is happening yeah. <laughs> in order mm-hmm. to have that moment of retrospective revelation and we never really get that in that final episode and i think that's where it for um, throughout the series there are a few instances of that where you're clearly meant to understand what they're saying and get some big revelation from it but they're just they're not willing to be clear enough they're too afraid for some reason of actually just saying what they mean and well, i some think shows do over explain and sort of hit you over the head with it and i feel sure. like they were trying to straddle the line of like okay we don't want to be too right, obnoxiously in your face about it and too they far in the opposite direction yes. and i think maybe maybe they did certainly certainly for the general public maybe not for me <laughs> we'll there's that. also things like the invisible car being com- like forgotten about Completely ignored. for several episodes right? like it happens yeah. and then you never mentioned again for what five episodes a, a law enforcement official a sheriff is murdered by an invisible car yeah, and in the right. next right. episode it's like it didn't happen and nobody, yeah. nobody knows nobody about it. it it's like like so, how often are sheriffs murdered in that area i guess is right the question. So I, here's the thing. I, th- I think they did that I think the reason that happened was a so that you'd have that moment later on of going all oh, the invisible cars I remember that uh-huh. but also because they kind of fast forward the uh, stuff between the sheriff um and um sorry I've forgotten the Tommy? what's his name Tommy Tommy oh, that's right, it Tommy. between between Tommy and the sheriff all of that happens over two episodes yeah and I think 
that the the feeling was that they wanted to get all of that into a condensed story bit as it were rather than have it distract from Spread other out. stuff in previous yeah. episodes but yeah. i think that was a mistake i think actually it would have worked better if they had seeded it out with things like his report about the invisible car going missing and some mention of the dead sheriff because you want the creeping one of the things that's interesting about this timeline is it's not purely 2022 right or 2032 it's 2032 polluted by future tech, right? And and that, mm-hmm. that's part of one of the cool things about the setup here is that obviously the headset they use to go into the peripherals in the future, that is, has been, you know, it's cutting edge. It's beyond cutting edge. Milagros Cold Iron, shout out. We've created a <laughs> shell corporation for yeah. our future tech. And they've, and they've got the plans from the future. So it's not tech from that era. The invisible car is not tech from that era. And like, that's actually a really fun idea that that, that gradually you never know around what corner you're going to find something from the future. Uh, Tommy ends up with the like sonic gun, right? Like, yeah. that's a really yeah. interesting idea. But yeah, that, that moment with the invisible car killing that sheriff. And it's like, is surely this is this will lead to something and the answer is no it really is just there to remind you that there's going to be an invisible car and and i would go to dan mentioned pacing i think that this is a good example of that where there's some things where you're like wow you cut a lot of corners there and then there are other ones where it's like why do we spend so much time with the backstory of the hitman come on oh, like God, and it's God. like what choice did not care the, the choices yeah. I, all I, of that I, time could have been used on stuff like it, yeah tommy exactly. and the sheriff not you know? that not that it's bad, but that when I look back in retrospect, I'm like, why did that get so much screen time? And this, you cut corners. It's like you didn't plan this very well, it feels it like felt, to me. You know, again, this this show is multiple shows kind of crammed into one. Sure. Um, right. And I feel like By when design. you have the sort of. Right. And exactly. And I liked parts <laughs> of it, but it felt like sometimes this is a place where like oh, having only was it eight episodes like. Yeah. It's, tricky you have to compress a lot so like there is the whole like appalachian crime story happening at the same time with corbell pickett right. and like his nephew straight who's out married of justified to, <laughs> right married to flynn's best friend that is straight out of justified i mean and that scene is terrified right the scene the flashback <gasps> with corbell where he locks oh, the motorcycle gang in the cars sometimes. oh my yeah. god like that is that was brutal and but mm-hmm. like we spent a lot of time developing this character and it felt like, you know, to Anthony's point, it got shoved into a couple episodes where it's like, this is kind of like a whole separate show and maybe you needed maybe two more episodes mm-hmm. or something and stretch it out a little bit, just pace it out a little bit. Well, but we can all agree that Invisible Cars are a great budget saving. <laughs> or just five minutes in another episode, in another sure. episode. It felt like I they moved that... the segments, like, right? I agree with right, you. They're like, right. Instead Corporal of having Pickett five minutes there, we shove it disappears for a couple episodes and then yeah, comes back. You know, exactly. like, are we done? with him because he seemed real important and then they bring him back i'm like okay well why did he disappear for a while it's just it's yeah i agree and who knows what the behind the scenes are here but with eight episodes it felt like they spent some of the shortcomings of the show feel like they didn't have enough time and yet there are other things in the show where it's like why did you spend spend your time time there and it's just it's it's perplexing um yeah it's perplexing but it is important to say that for all of the complaints, you know, for all of that we're griping about it now, overall, it absolutely works. Like the tension oh, yeah. is maintained throughout the season. <laughs> it builds to a climax. Like overall, I was very, very happy with I'm, this show. I'm enjoying that Auntie was before is like, well, let's all say that it's good, but it's not perfect. And is now coming back to say, but like what we complained about, but it's actually pretty good. I'm <laughs> well, I just, you know, I just want to, yeah. He just yeah. wants some nuance. That's a man who's been on Twitter. He's trying to keep it nuanced, people. <laughs> trying to keep it like out things there. and still have critiques of them. Yes. That's oh, the yeah. premise no, of no, this no, show. Absolutely. absolutely. I'm just, yeah. I'm just being, but I, one of the interesting things I did, like, I just want to mention 
mention this really quick because I thought this was an interesting storyline, even though it does feel kind of ancillary, is I loved the sort of crisscross nature of um, Tommy and Jasper, where you have the intersection with them where it's like Tommy turns out to be a lot more like coal like he's got the like sort of righteousness but then it flips over into like i'm gonna murder you in cold blood because it's the thing that needs to be done to jasper's like uh you know it turns out like oh you think he's sort of a a, you know numbskull working for his uncle and he's maybe not a great guy and at the end he's like oh no i don't want to be this guy who locks them in the car to get run over by a train (laughs) except he kind of does but like he's better than you think and tommy is maybe a little worse than you think in terms of their various things and i felt it was an interesting way to have their stories kind of flip sides there uh, in the evolution of those characters. Are those characters overall that important to the story? No. I have a question about that, but <laughs> yeah, no, but I, they I enjoyed make the it. world feel they they make that near future world feel more real Absolutely. and full, and I care about it in part because of those characters. I don't think yeah, I would I totally, care as much. Totally agree. I don't think they're necessary to the plot, but I like I like yes. what they do there. I think they were clearly also setting Jasper up uh, to be more of a force in season two. You know, mm-hmm. he's basically yeah, yeah. going to essentially replace his uncle and become the antagonist in the near future world of season two. Right. At and least that's what it felt like. If, if they this don't, is the villain origin story. Uh, well, or or it's a little more nuanced. I, I think my, my complaint about this, because I do actually like these details. I like that. You know, again, there's a lot of time spent on it, but I like Tommy being put in the situation he's in. Um, mm-hmm. Personally, I, I I was watching that scene, you know, by the pool and all that, thinking to myself, thinking to myself, Tommy, there's really only one solution here, and it's yeah. you're going to have to kill him. Yeah. That's like the only way out of hit this. Is and I know you're you're a good guy. I I don't want to kill anybody either personally, but if I were in your <laughs> shoes here, you got to kill him. It's the only way out. It's the only way to yep. be sure. So mm-hmm. it, th- that was all fascinating, and yet. What I wanted is, again, I I keep talking about the creeping kind of like danger in this timeline from the future tech, from the crime figures in the in the in the county. And that's another one of those places where I don't really feel it that much. Right. That that was one of the things that in season two, perhaps. But in season one, Corbell Pickett, like he's out there and he's menacing and all. But like I never it never really felt like, oh, he, well, yeah, but it is the problem is now we're under assault from Corbell Pickett, too, and he's using all of his. It, like, never quite gelled there. Again. To me, it yeah. did early on, but mm, yes. I felt like his power was shown to be super secondary to the power of everybody in the future who had such, you know, em- emphasis on the past. Like, they could do a lot more back there that yeah. he, it did kind of nerf him a little bit as yeah. a big bad. And, and the, the moment that you want is the moment where it's like, oh, man, yeah, but now the now the guys in the future know to use Corbell Pickett and to give him all these resources. And now yeah. we're really going to have a, a, a balance of power here. We're going to have to fight it out with this guy. And that mm, didn't really happen. Because uh, that and, happened yeah. in the book and that was kind of great yeah in all honesty when you're like oh yeah. man every yeah. it's a chessboard and you all are just pieces right? it goes back to and, that. And, and maybe it's set up for for a season two this is very clearly a show that you I mean like it's uh, i talked to some people who thought well did they adapt the book well in eight episodes and i'm like no <laughs> it, it is not an adaptation <laughs> of the whole book this is not a mini series <laughs> they are they are still setting things up for the future we talked about low beer like you don't play a low beer and mm-hmm. and have her come in episode six if that's the only <laughs> season of the show um um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so so I hope they make more because it it is a really yes. good show, even though it is not not perfect and has some issues. Uh, speaking of which, I want to mention uh, a performer who I like, who I did not like in this show, and that's Tania Miller as Sharice. I oh, found really? she decided to do the mumbly thing. 
and I can't understand a word she's saying. I can't understand a word she's saying. I had to turn on the subtitles. I I had to pause the show every time she appeared on screen and turn the subtitles on because I had no idea what she was saying. Some of it, I think, is her accent, too, or the accent that she's doing here, which is a little, I don't know. I mean, Anthony, maybe you can weigh in on that. It felt a little strange or affected maybe but i don't know if that's the actual accent or just mumbly it was accent Uh, with mumbly i just couldn't i couldn't yeah but it but if you if you are familiar with more familiar with the accents then the mumbling doesn't matter as much i find this quite funny because i had the opposite exactly the opposite experience with some of the american actors where i had to keep rewinding and go what did he say what did he say uh, fair point fair point <laughs> they were all clear as crystal to me it was just tania miller i'm like i don't know what she's saying well, I just, whereas, I didn't whereas the british actors anybody, actually but, that's something we haven't really mentioned is that everybody in the future london is and these are all, or not all, actually, but I think almost all British, native British actors. And they're all putting on, apart from Alexandra Billings, uh, most notably, they're all putting on really weird accents. Yeah. Well, that's what I was <laughs> trying to get at. It felt strange. It did sound weird to me. Yeah, to Brits, they're really, really overly formal, clipped. Mm. Not just their language, but the way they pronounce things and their enunciation is really kind of overly affected. And... It has to be deliberate because, like I say, most of these are native British actors. And so they appear to be doing some kind of and I, I think it goes along with the the overly formal interreactions and relations that you see between characters in that future London, especially the uh, conversations between Lobier and Lev. You know, I think probably most notably, but all of them, everybody is exceedingly formal to each other and very kind of distant and cold. Uh, which isn't really something that comes across in the book, but I think it works here to kind of make you feel like you're in a strange future world, but also this idea that actually there aren't that many people around. And so everybody (laughs) is kind of just like very formal and sort of distant from one another. But yeah, as a Brit watching it, at first I was like, are these American actors doing bad British accents? And then I looked at them like, no, they're all British actors. So this must be a choice. Doing future British accents. This is also another one of those shows where I go through and it's like um, there are several actors in here who I knew from other things a long time ago and watching them pop up. So I was thinking particularly Katie Lung, who is Ash, was um, Cho Chang in the Harry Potter movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that made me feel old. Uh, Gary Carr, who plays Wilf, was in the first several seasons of Death in Paradise. Yeah, as the that's where very I enthusiastic from, yep. young police officer Fidel, who's great. I love yep. him, but like such a weird thing. And then my first, not my favorite guest star, the episode where they go talk to the is it the assemblers in the butcher shop, and they have oh, that right. fight yeah. with yes. the guy. Yeah, yeah. The, the guy she fights is Callum Blue, who is if you watch Dead yes! Like Me, the series, yes! and I was like, holy! First of all, he got not only to get older, but he got way more attractive. <laughs> <laughs> he was like a scrawny little kid like 20 years ago when that show aired. I'm like, that is a good looking guy now. I looked him up. I was like, why do I know who this guy is? It's like, oh, it's tw- you know, Mason from Dead Like Me 20 years later. Yeah. And I I mean, I already mentioned Anjali Mohindra, who was in both Doctor Who and um, the Sarah Jane Adventures. So I was and really excited to see her. She was also in Bodyguard and like several other things. She's really great. I, yeah, I enjoy her a lot. Taken off. And you may also know Chloe Grace Moretz from everything. Uh, like everything um yeah it's uh and i again i want to mention alexandra billings uh who is doing a i don't know is that character american doing a weird british posh accent 
to fit like in. Like the Madonna sort of? accent when you're or, like, oh, I've lived over here for 10 years I kind, and I've picked up the vowels. I kind of feel like that that's what she's doing is that she's actually doing the like, this is what I need to do because I work for the Met, even though I don't have this accent. But it's but it's great because it's like somebody playing Sherlock Holmes, essentially. It's just she's like, mm-hmm. no, but I am Sherlock Holmes, but I'm also playing Sherlock Holmes. That's literally what's it's, happening. It's also not a bad accent. Like, uh, it's not perfect, but honestly, that's, you know, as Americans doing English accents go, it's not bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a great character. So I hope that the show continues also, cause I want more low beer. Um, mm-hmm. I want more low beer bringing the, just like low beer walks in the door. And, and like we said, there was that moment where everybody's like, oh no. And, and then she comes through and she's, and, and, and we're like, our friends are implicated with the bad people and you're like oh i hope she realizes that our friends aren't bad and and then she does right and she has that moment where she's like we need to work together because you are surrounded by some very bad people here it's just so good the, the whole progression of it is great um yeah yeah anything we haven't covered that we should cover in uh i, I just want to quick talk about like there's not a lot of romance in this show but there is enough that it like I I feel like these days I just kind of need like a little bit of that in almost everything I see, and this was just the right amount sprinkled in because you have you have uh Wilf and and Flynn uh, who are obviously like sort of into each other from the uh-huh. beginning, but then I really really love uh, speaking of Lobier and and her pals and Angelie Mohindra. I love uh I can't remember Angelie Mohindra's character's Beatrice. name Beatrice 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 yes yeah. so like you know she is leading Burton and Connor through that yeah. basically you know eight story death trap or whatever it is <laughs> you and can like see the hearts in their eyes when they're sparring oh my it's god so Connor cute. especially yeah and he says yeah. at some point something like I, I love I'm that Android that lady robot later yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes and I'm like I I want a second season because I want more low beer but I really want a second season because I am shipping those two so hard I want Connor to get with the android <laughs> I love that he knows that she's not human and he yeah, doesn't care. He's care. Like, she, that's yeah. pretty, she's pretty hot, that android lady, that um, robot lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, Connor's like one of the big tragic figures and, well, not tragic, but poignant figures in the book because the first time he's in a pult and he's running around and doing all sorts of things, he like lets out this primal scream because he's just so happy, relieved, fulfilled to have limbs and to do the things that he wants to do in his brain and i like that they kind of push that into the show and like erica i kind of want to see if if like do they make a badass team do they become like mr and mrs smith and there's like some romance and repartee or i was relieved they got him right on the show so mm-hmm. to speak you know because it really could have yeah. gone wrong in a lot of different ways and instead it points Agreed. out like his great mighty beating heart and his courage and what it takes for this dude just to wake up in the morning and how when he sees the future tech, it's transformative for him in a way that it isn't for anyone else. And he realized that like right off the bat. It's so also great. it looks I, I have to say uh, it looks like he makes a hell of a French toast is one is all. Yes. Ah. <laughs> mm-hmm. that looked yeah, good. I did I appreciate seeing a, a disabled character who is able to, you know, live his life and do yeah. the things that he needs to do. You know, it's sadly the only disabled character that we see in this series is someone who is super super not happy with with the state of his life and the way that he is living it and then oh magically he gets to actually have arms and legs uh, mm. uh, again um, but but I did appreciate seeing how he just he lives on his own and he takes care of himself and he is like super suffering with PTSD and like I like the fact that sort of that's the problem the problem is not so much that he isn't able to get around because yes. he is the problem is that he has suffered 
deeply and and greatly and <laughs> because of the bad guys in this show um that 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 is actually the heart of of his issue so i, I, I think, just I, I do love him as a character i think you can't do that story with him realizing that he can be in a full bodied full limbed uh mm-hmm. body in the future a peripheral in the future if you don't have show him being you know living his life and being successful it, d- given the fact that a few years ago he lost three limbs um mm-hmm. in the in the present i think i think they have to you kind of have to do that right you, in order yeah, to yeah. be able to get away with the the other part of it because this is a very pr- specific story about you know a wounded mm-hmm. wounded warriors and yes he is struggling with ptsd it's not just like yeah he 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 would love to get his limbs back but you know he he's real capable like super capable down in the dirt mm-hmm. fixing his bike capable uh, although he does need help from the nerds at the 3D printer for that. Uh, I do want to mention the um, production design, too, of the, um, was it, is it like the air scrubbers? Yeah, oh, the, the giant in, classical in the statues. Future, right? yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, that is one of the moments of the show being like, it's not even that those things are that important to the plot. They're morally, mostly like window dressing, yep. but they are so effective in making everything feel strange and alien in the future um, because they're that weird like mix of like, I, I don't even I don't even understand entirely what's going on there. But like, right, they are sort of like these weird substances that can change and move. But also the classical statues look. I don't know. I thought it was it's, striking and it's unlike the, it's anything the assemblers, I had seen. Yeah, but also yeah, no, that yeah. kind of brutalist yeah, architecture. Yeah, you guys have said the word assemblers a bunch of times, and I have not known what you were talking well, about the, any of those times. It's the nano machines <laughs> that they have in the future that disassemble okay. people and can reassemble items from anything. And like that, we see it several times, and they do refer to them as assemblers. But it's more like talking about a but dishwasher. I'm with yeah, that like Erica, that I didn't entirely understand what was meant by it, even though that word gets dropped a bunch of times. Yeah. So yeah, yep. Erica, high five! I'm with you. Yeah, Woo! no, that's that's one of those that's but, one of those things. Although but I was it, never confused in the show. Yeah, and it, mm. they explain right. at some point briefly, but it's what they really are, which is clever. Is uh, they're CO2 scrubbers. So basically, they're like, yeah, well, we live on this planet now, so we got to get all that carbon dioxide out of the air. So we built these giant machines that pull the CO2 out of the air. That's that's what those are. So we're, they're still cleaning up the mess right. of the jackpot, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does make the whole thing weird and eerie, for sure. One one thing that we haven't really talked about yet is uh, Ash and Ossian, Lev's mm. assistants stroke hench people. <laughs> uh, Dan mentioned Katie Lung as Ash, which, who are very, very different to their roles in the book. Um, and I liked them, and I loved their little encrypted yeah uh, language that they spoke and, and stuff like that. But... The, their plan, <laughs> their sort of semi-betrayal plan, uh, is just well so bad. They're supposed to be like really, really smart, intelligent people. That's why they work for Lev. And yet it is the dumbest plan. And they do the whole thing <laughs> in his kitchen. Like knowing full well that he can hear everything that's going on in the house, just so bizarre. I do not See, understand me, those it, choices at all. I, I read so those cocky. characters. Mm-hmm. I read those characters as like super uber nerds who were very book smart, but not as street smart as they think they are. So for me, like, I mean, maybe that's different from the way they were in the book, but to me, that seemed perfect because it was like, yeah, they know how to do all of these tech things. They can do all the stuff with the pulse and like the the all that kind of stuff. But they don't really have the the strongest understanding of like exactly 
the way the world works, which is why <laughs> he gets his face cut in the middle of the room. And, you know, they're actually being listened in on. Like, I just thought that they were a little more bumbling than they thought they were. And that was the way they were supposed it's, it's to be. Hubris, arrogance. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think that mm-hmm. works. I agree. Both both those things are true. I think they're both arrogant and their plan is bad. Yep, um, yep. And, exactly. <laughs> but I enjoy that moment where Lev points out that he's like, oh, yeah, I like have been cracked your encryption code speech mm-hmm. thing a while back and been listening to everything like that is a great moment because it mm-hmm. does go to the heart of them having the hubris of being like we're so clever we speak in this code that no one can under oh crap yeah i thought their plan was supposed to be bad <laughs> yeah no. it also shows you who lev is because he has been sitting on this knowledge until it's useful to him and it's a nice character beat where you're like okay what else is he sitting on that he's like you don't yeah, know what he does player. and doesn't know mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I just really like that. I, I love how his character got fleshed out and the different traits emerged over time. Um, I mean, he still can't outthink Lobier. Um, I don't think anyone can. But <laughs> you find out that this is a guy who is really, really good at, at criminal mayhem. <laughs> 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 you might say he's born to it. Um, <laughs> Maybe he's born with it. And maybe it's... <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's crime maybe yeah maybe all right well this has been great and uh if you're still listening and haven't watched the show yet i mean what, what can we tell you go watch the show you should do, do it that. you should do that go do it um and uh let me thank my panelists for discussing it with me for the past hour i appreciate it lisa schmeiser thank you very much oh this was a delight thank you anthony johnston thank you yeah thank you for having me jason this was great erica ensign thank you I'm going to end the podcast the way I ended watching every episode of The Peripheral, and that's by shouting the name Scotch Double, because I did it every time. <laughs> it's just so fun. And Dan Morin, thank you. I'm going to marry that robot lady. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode in whatever stub you happen to be in at the moment. We will, some version of us, we'll see you next time. 